Welcome listeners. Finally, it's time for me to have an episode which I'm absolutely stoked about. Today we talk with Jared, who works at the organization Heroic Hearts, a war veteran with an incredible story and a mission to help other vets and people suffering from PTSD with the help of psychedelic tools. His no-nonsense, no-bullshit approach is a fresh breath of air, in my personal opinion, in the world of psychedelics, as he's a very, very experienced psychonaut and healer. We came in contact with Jared after witnessing so many veterans who are out in the world trying to heal themselves with DMT and wanting to buy our boxes. Something clicked in my head and told me, this is something I have to dive deeper into. It really fascinates me. It's quite different from the regular at-home psychonaut but war veterans who've dealt with something so significant. We civilians are unable to fathom. Heroic Hearts is a proprietary program. They primarily work with ayahuasca retreat centers, but it doesn't end or start there. Heroic Hearts carefully guides each individual that they work with. And they see tremendous changes, which we're going to dive deep into today. We advise you to go to heroicheartsproject.org and check them out, especially if you're a veteran, but anyone should definitely check out their content. Head to our website as well, Portier Supplies, that's P-O-R-T-I-E-R, portiersupplies.com. We create premium kits that have everything you need to optimize your psychedelic journey work. We focus on DMT, the spirit molecule first, but it also includes information and tools for other plant medicine. We have a special offer for veterans, so if you go to our website, first be sure to sign up for the newsletter and you'll instantly get a discount, veteran or not, you'll get a discount on your first purchase. We do have a special offer for veterans, so be sure to reach out to us if that's the case and like others, you are interested in getting a box. All right, without further ado, from heroicheartsproject.org, this is our conversation with Jared. Background in your organization, but still it's nice if you tell us a little bit more uh, from your own words, uh, what you do. Uh, So... What I do is I'm an integration coach for uh, Hurl Carts Project, and uh, personally as an integration coach outside of Hurl Carts. And what that means is is I uh, I help individuals move through their psychedelic experiences with the intention of healing. So I uh, I help them with techniques and mindfulness uh, uh, preparation going forward into before their ceremony or before their time with the psychedelic or, and then work on the tools that they may have learned from the experience afterwards. Okay. But you're not, you're not with them like during the experience. No, no, not primarily. Sometimes I have had the privilege of being able to be with them and facilitate the experience. Uh, but other times, uh, but most of the time it's, I'm, I'm on one end of the computer and they're on the other end. Right. Right. So in your own words, what, what does your organization do and who does it help? Uh, so heroic hearts project connects veterans to ayahuasca centers and aboga centers and ketamine clinics within the United States. Uh, we're also looking into connecting veterans with psilocybin retreats, uh, outside of the United States. Uh, so our primary goal is to connect veterans with these different types of healing modalities 
because they worked so well for myself and for my team that we wanted to make sure the veteran community could have access to these. But not only that, uh, they want we wanted to make sure that these centers in place are reputable because at this point, anybody can be giving mushrooms or ayahuasca in a basement. So we wanted everyone to feel like these centers are safe and that they are vetted uh, so that way they can go into these experiences. So in a short, short and we uh, we connect veterans to ayahuasca centers. Yeah. Quality ayahuasca centers and uh yes. And do, do veterans actually come in and say, okay, I want to do ayahuasca or I want to do ketamine or, or do they come and talk with you and then you um, you figure that out along the way? Or how does that uh, process look like? So we primarily at this moment connect veterans with ayahuasca retreat centers. But in the interim, as we vet some of these uh, some of the participants or people who want to go drink ayahuasca, they go onto our website. Horocardsproject.org, uh, and then they apply on there, and then they're basically going to our waiting list, and then they'll be vetted. So as soon as they get called, someone will call them and ask them about medications, uh, things are going on, uh, and where they're at. So basically, safety sake for uh, medical reasons for ayahuasca. Say for an instance, there may not pass that screening, whether it be with medications or maybe they're not uh, mentally prepped, or maybe there's, there's something that goes on that does not mean that we exclude them. That's when we start looking at other modalities that may work in the interim before they go drink ayahuasca, or maybe they don't have to drink ayahuasca if these other ones work. So we might link them up with a ketamine clinic that's close by if we if we feel like it's reputable, or we might uh, we might send them to a, a boga center or a, a psilocybin center. It all depends on wow. where they're where they are at in their in their personal experience and what But would be best for them. But for this, you must know quite a lot of the person already, no, to determine like which medicine is the right one. Put in. Um, well, morally, yes, I would say so. We would like more information. The more I can know, the better. But um, there is still a part of it that says that a lot of these people are signing up and they want to drink ayahuasca. So that's that's the easy ploy is that it's not a lot of if you can or you can't. We know that we know if you can medically can because of heart conditions or uh, medications you may be on or other stuff that may be disqualifying mm -hmm. factors. But we'll bring up to them later. Hey, have you thought about using other treatments like ketamine or psilocybin or these other things? And then we will, as a coach or as someone who may be doing the vetting, I would then talk to them about how they would feel about it. And we would get a better perspective instead of just saying, oh, you can't drink ayahuasca or you can't do this. How, how about this? Instead of sending them that way, we just, we want to see how they feel about it because this is up to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, this is really, really awesome. There's, there's a million reasons why I think your work is incredibly, uh, yeah, amazing. Um, first one, it, it, it seems like it's one of an, of a kind, right? It's, it feels like we're at the inception of, uh, or at the infancy stages of this becoming, uh, more widely known and that, um, it, it's psychedelics uh, or implant medicine are not integrated into Western medicine at all. And it feels like a lot of 
veterans might have uh, stumbled across it or or heard it from other vets like, hey, man, this helps me with my uh, trauma or whatever. And then, you know, suddenly they go to a jungle somewhere and it it seems a little bit chaotic. Right. Um, And it seems like you guys are amongst the first organizations to make a structure for this and actually professionally guide people and actually offer them to go for free sometimes if they right uh, finance their uh, their trips if they are uh, suited um yeah there's so much good stuff here um and it, it really seems like you're pioneering or or are there many other organizations that are doing work like yours there's um there's only a couple and most of them uh there's one other organization uh that's vets veterans of war and they send primarily veterans uh special operations groups to uh, ayahuasca retreats and then there's uh the mission within and then they do they work with boga primarily so we're kind of the first of our kind that that really works with uh, combat vets and military sexual trauma vets and uh, really just PTSD in general. Like there's really no disqualifying factor. If you are a veteran who is struggling with PTSD, we uh, we have a door open for you. And there is in uh, these other organizations, we're starting to we're all starting to get kind of our our foundation laid. And I think that this next coming years, it's going to be great because we, I think there's going to be some forming of an alliance, so to speak, of like a quote, like of these organizations coming together and working with each other. So instead of us taking on, um, say maybe a BOGA, we'll talk to another center who that's what their specialty is. And we'll refer veterans out to that way. So that way it's, it's just, it's helping help in a sense. So you feel this industry is not that uh, competitive yet or, um, people are generally like in for the good cause trying to. I think that there is definitely um, competition, but I wouldn't say that. um, I mean, heroic cars project is a nonprofit. So uh, we're really just kind of competing against ourselves. We, we, we kind of just, we're trying to get as many uh, donations as we can. And to be honest, if these other organizations with the same mission of connecting vets to to plant medicines for healing if they got more donations than i did or heroic cards did i'm not going to be upset about that um i mean it's it's one mission i mean different teams but the same mission so uh i just go okay so maybe they can teach me something about how we can do with fundraising or what we can do and um there is some competition some of the some of us have kept us uh pretty close to the chest in some aspect, but as far as HHP goes, we're really open with the other organizations and we really want to, uh, to work it together as much as we can with them as we, as we grow, because as you said, it, this is kind of a pioneering, uh, spot. No one's ever really done this before. And if they have, it's been very quiet and I've never heard of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how do people actually find out about this? Right. Because it seems like these are very distant worlds. You know, you're fighting a war sometimes or, or at least you're, you're sent out somewhere. Um, and um, then you are suddenly between some hippie folk uh, in a jungle uh, drinking some brew. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe, you know, that this is not marketed to veterans, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in their own circles. So how do they discover uh, you guys and how do they discover that this helps them? Um, as of right now, I would say a lot of what they find about heroic cards is probably uh, just word of mouth or maybe through like a Facebook or maybe through like Reddit, people maybe telling their own posts, but really it's a lot of veterans coming out and telling their story. Uh, the veteran community in the United States is very large, but at the same time, it's very tight. 
So you really like it's it's a very small community of people that basically hear uh, the rumor mill very fast. So like we as Hero Cards, we're we're already at a wait list of over 500 veterans uh, to go. And that's going to probably grow to at least 800 or so before the end of the year. So the word is getting out. The issue that we're having is getting it out to the people who are not in the veterans organizations who uh, would like to donate. That's where the the, the thing comes from. Because a lot of, as you can understand, people who are going through PTSD or mental health trauma usually aren't in a financial position to fly to Peru and, and take this medicine and do this thing. That doesn't seem like um, if when I was struggling with my issues, I fortunately had a very, uh, a very good paying job to do that for me, but that was, that's the biggest hurdle. So for us, we just want to make sure we have the money to send Mm. a lot of these vets. We try to have them pay as much as they can, but we'll take in what they can't. Mm. Do you, do you take on everyone who is interested or do you have a certain criteria to say like, mm, okay, maybe you should do some other personal work before, before you enter like a psychedelic journey, or is it generally that you would say like everyone who is interested could have potentially uh, the chance to participate in some psychedelic journey? And that, uh, that comes in our vetting process. So after they apply online, we would then get their contact information and we would make a uh, direct contact with them and have a phone call. Cause usually we would have a retreat coming up and then we look at their application to see if it matches like no medications, you know, they've, and we, and they're on that application, ask a lot of questions about, um, where they're at, what they've currently done, how many, if they've worked with psychedelics before, if they haven't, what other stuff they've done. And if the, if the person on the other end of the line, that's getting, uh, just doing the vetting has a feeling that there, you know, there are some red flags that we, that we, uh, teach some of the people who are vetting to look for, as far as like someone may be needing to do a little bit more personal work. Someone may be doing just drug seeking behavior, just looking for another, another escapism aspect. So there's little, there's little things that we put in there, but again, this never disqualifies anybody. It yeah. just puts them on the list. And then if we can, we'll link them up with a coach or we'll link them up with a mental health uh, practitioner and then see where we can move from there and then maybe get them pushed forward so they can get to that experience. Cause some of them are still weaning off their, their medication. Mm-hmm. And I don't know like, if you yeah, know this, but getting off of, yeah, but getting off of SSRI medication can be yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. So we don't want to encourage them to just cold turkey their medication for ayahuasca. Like that's mm-hmm. not what I want to encourage them at all. So it, it when we find out information, whether it be due to mental health or medication or physical health, we see what we can do to work with them uh, further. And that, it, but that's uh, that's just part of that screening process or the vetting process before they go. Yeah. And this waiting list, man, that says a lot about the size of the issue and how tremendously it can benefit veterans as well. And how many, how many veterans have you helped so far? Uh, we have currently helped over 200 veterans and we, and, and this, so far this month, we helped just over 25. Right. Uh, wow. I, I wonder one month alone. So that's your busy month, right? Uh, yeah. That this was our last push this last month. We, uh, we yeah. sent out about 25 veterans and it's, you know, the month of September and all the COVID stuff and all the travel. And, right. and we, we still got, we still got the mission accomplished is just getting these, these vets. Mission accomplished. And yeah. <laughs> is that how you talk? You talk, uh, <laughs> still have the slang. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we, the veteran organization, you know, it's still, yeah. uh, it's still part of the lingo. Uh, yeah. 
the lingo man that must be an interesting mix uh yeah, i wonder cool. i wonder how this feels though you must have had so many interesting interactions with people seeing them before they've been doing a psychedelic and like after they come back from a journey there yeah. must there must have been so many like life-changing uh yeah. moments for people that you witnessed firsthand like as a as a coach man it's been it's it's such a it reminds me all the time that I can have faith in this medicine because um, I do three sessions with them before they go and it's weekly and, and we're, and, and we're doing the diet and preparation and they, they're, they're very open with me about their stuff. And there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, like there's a lot of things that um, any individual can be going through and, right. and you give any they examples? come back. Um, a lot of it is uh sexual trauma from family members uh, when they were children. A lot of it's combat trauma. A lot of it's relationship issues are going through a lot of it's uh, physical pain that they're going through uh, drinking habits, all that. There's just a whole culmination of it that comes down to it. And, uh, and, and a lot of them are feeling disconnected from their family. They can't communicate. They don't know how to talk. So when they start talking to me, they open up and we just, I kind of get to help them get to the meat of what their intention is. Like, what do they want to give to the medicine so they don't have to have it anymore. Like what do they want to give to ayahuasca so they can, they can just take it off their plate. So we try to get all that stuff out there. And when they come back, I am always uh, just so elated with the transformations that occur after they drink ayahuasca. I won't say everybody gets through like this big, huge, wow, transformational experience, but I will say upwards of 90 to 95% of the veterans that I have worked with personally wow. have, have had life-changing experiences that have had long-lasting mental health results of, of uh, having the tools to move forward and, and take proper steps forward for their mental health. And I don't want to use the word cure, but for myself, ayahuasca cured my PTSD and cured my issues that I had with anger and depression. And then after ayahuasca, obviously anger came back, obviously like anxiety came back because you can't get rid of emotions. Like they're just there, but they weren't due to past trauma. It was something in the moment. Like I was anxious for things I was supposed to be anxious about, or I was angry about things I was supposed to be angry about. I wasn't flying off the handle about things. Mm -hmm. Do you also give handles of how to deal with uh, the recurrence of that? Um, so when, when anger pops up back up, you know, afterwards, how, how to handle that, because that's almost psychology, right? It's, uh, not necessarily going to the, the core of the trauma with the ayahuasca, but it's also, you know, how to, uh, yeah, engage in the civilized, like this between civilian worlds, you know, uh, between civilians. So. And that's what I think from uh, my perspective as an integration coach, I only give my, my personal tools that have worked for me. And I've tried a lot. I've tried a lot of things that have a lot of flashy colors and a lot of breathing techniques and a lot of stuff. And a lot of it's bullshit. In my opinion, a lot of it does not work. A lot of it does not work. A lot of it's just a, you have to believe it to make it work. And I'm not into, right. I'm not into like believing first and then getting my results. Uh, one of the reasons why I like working with psychedelics is because you don't have to believe you just got to take and hang yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, so as a coach, you're right. There is a bit of psychology or you could call talk therapy, but I'm not a psychologist. What I do is basically talk to him about, you know, it's a veteran talking to another veteran uh, about some very similar issues and some stuff that came up 
after I drank ayahuasca and after that stuff came up and after I felt so good, but then suddenly some of the stuff started coming back. So through that time frame, I realized how to use these things to my advantage and then give these same tools to my clients. And, and some, and most of them are just basic little introspective stuff. Like, you know, journaling and meditation is really what the two main tools I harp on. And the rest of it kind of is in the flow where we talk about, you know, how, how was your week? And then we'll talk about an event in their week and how they responded. And then we'll use that as a tool for guiding them for their next time that it comes up because anger doesn't go away. It's just something that we, we manage, we learn to deal with. If you try to get rid of it, it'll just bite you in the ass. So it's, I use anger as an example, because it's a, a normal one for me to get triggered about something or to get, to get upset about something. But especially since all the personal work and ayahuasca I've done, it's not as, it's not as visceral or as, uh, as like potent as it used to be. If that makes sense, like the anger is still there, but it doesn't consume me as much. Mm-hmm. And is it always the case that people go back to that trauma and by facing it, um, they make such progress? I, um, <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't know how uh, psychedelics work or how ayahuasca works. I just know that it worked for me and has worked for many others mm-hmm. for myself. How I feel that ayahuasca worked for me was it, it made me face the things in my life that I didn't want to look at. It made me really look at the qualities of myself, of how I was treating myself and how I was treating those around me and how it was very toxic for my own health in physical and mental ways. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for that, which was a very difficult experience to to sit with because I had been uh, subconsciously lying to myself for many, many years um, through action and words and, and thoughts. And I would, and, and so when I got to ayahuasca, I finally got to see where I was at and how I was actually acting and what was actually going on. And once I was aware of that, I couldn't, I couldn't go back to lying to myself. I just couldn't. So it seems to be the same way with ayahuasca with everybody, but it's all a different type of method. Some people have visions. Some people have no vision. Some people have, you know, a crazy physical experience. Some people have like, you know, complete out of body experiences. Some people have zero, nothing like sit in the ceremony and they're just in it and there's not, they don't feel any physical effects, but a lot of emotional effects it. But the funny thing is, is that as a coach on this end of it, it seems to be all just part of the process. Like no matter what they get, it's all part of that deconditioning process of seeing who they really are and what is really going on in their life. Conditioning. I like that uh, word. Yeah. So it's like an amount of ceremonies that uh, your clients usually go through before, like, is it just one ceremony or will there be several before? Uh, So Haro Karts, how we do it is we send, um, veterans to a seven day retreat. And that usually gives them about three to four ceremonies with ayahuasca, depending. And then some of them also work with five MEO DMT or Bufo medicine, and some work with combo Mm -hmm. and other types of modalities as well. And in that time frame, they'll do three ceremonies or four ceremonies. And I've found from my experience, three to four ceremonies with, um, with about a, a gap in between is just about perfect for most of the the trauma that we are experiencing in the West. 
not saying that some people might not need more or need, need some extra care from, from the same type of uh, modality. Cause some people need to drink more than four or five times to feel like they've, they've achieved their healing. But in general, three to four ceremonies, most people, including myself, after my first four ceremonies, I was okay with not having ayahuasca for a while. Nice. Um, it took but, me about a year before I went back to it again. So, uh, but but now you drink it like every once in a while, or um. So for myself, I worked in the jungle as a facilitator for about 10 months after I, um, so a little bit about me, I was in the Marine yeah. Corps for five years. And, um, and then before, after I got out of the Marine Corps in 2011, I was not having an easy time integrating from the military to civilian life. Uh, I was going through a divorce. I wasn't really sure of who I was anymore. Uh, very angry, depressed, uh, lots of stuff. I'm sure we've all heard this story from most uh, most veterans about how difficult it is to to integrate. So my solution was uh, to become a private military contractor because I didn't want to be in the Western world anymore. I would like I felt comfortable overseas with a gun in my hand with a mission. I didn't want to do anything else. So uh, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan for about three and a half years on and off, like living there, doing a, doing a couple contracts. And, and then in the middle of that contract, I was also kind of, when I would come home on leave, I would work with psychedelics and not for a healing intention, but more for my friends were doing psychedelics. So I would do it with them. And, and yeah, I got some stuff out of it, but I always compartmentalized or thought about the experiences, man, I got really fucked up last weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't think about like, Whoa, what a trip. And this crazy thing that happened. I just was like, man, I got really messed up last weekend. That's how I thought of it. And yeah, there was some stuff that was in there that was like, huh, maybe, maybe I think it was planting more seeds than anything. Um, so after I had my DMT experience, uh, which was around that same time, I had a message in my DMT experience that told me to go to the jungle. And how did you, how did you get DMT suddenly? Like did the friend offer it to you or what was it? Yeah. So I was date I was dating a girl at the time who was, uh, uh would a self-proclaimed psychonaut and she uh, okay. you know, did a lot of psychedelics before we were dating and she wanted to have me try these different yeah. ones. And you so, were still a contractor at that time. Yeah, I was, I was off of my contract. I was back in the States. I was, uh, or actually I was not even in the States when I was doing this. So I was, I was out of, uh, I was on leave away from my contract. Right. So yeah, I was not in Iraq doing DMT. No, no. I promise. Um, so when I, um, so when I had that experience, because it was kind of, she was like, well, have you tried this? And I would say no. So I tried mushrooms. I tried, you know, LSD. I tried, uh, and then I tried DMT one on, and these were different leave blocks that I would come home and I would try these new, these new psychedelics. And the only one that really like blew my mind, uh, and like shook everything up was when I smoked DMT for the first time. And when I smoked DMT for the first time, I had an experience of being in this very familiar world that to describe it really wouldn't even give you justice. It, it was very organic, but also very mechanical. And, um, this environment felt like home. It felt like I had just left. I felt like I had left my keys and I was like, Oh, I have to go back in the house and get my <laughs> keys because I forgot them. Like that's how, that's how familiar it felt. And, and uh, it was so intense that right. I forgot that I was actually in a DMT experience. There was no like, Oh, this is weird. It was like, ah, oh, this is familiar. I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the environment starts communicating with me in this like telepathic way. 
in, it, in the same way that it felt like mom was at the house going like, Oh, back so soon. Right. And, and I was, and then suddenly it like, I went over and it held me whatever, wherever I was in this. Cause I don't know. I, I didn't have a body. I was like experiencing this and it felt like I was being held by uh, the divine mother by, by God. And it was the most beautiful and like surrendering experience ever had in my life. And then suddenly I felt the drug kind of coming off of coming out of my body. It was coming down. And I remember, Oh my God, I'm on this DMT experience. And so I start asking every question I can think of to this entity. Cause I think it's God. I'm like, this must be God. I'm talking to it. Like it feels like it. So it laughs at me and says, go to the jungle. You get your answers there. And then I came out of the, out of the experience. Um, so I told my girlfriend at the time about the experience and she goes, well, have you heard of ayahuasca? And I said, yes, but I'm terrified of it. And she's like, well, that seems like where you probably are supposed to go next. So this was very strange for me. I didn't know what to do with it, but I was like, I felt like I had a mission at that point. So, you know, I just, you've heard me already missions. I love them. So I was like, sweet. So I went back to Iraq and I looked up while I was out there on my contract, I looked up a center um, that I felt like was what I was looking for. That was more authentic and had like real shamans and, and, uh, and real, real healers from that tri- from the Shipibo tribe. And, and so I, I went down there with my girlfriend and a friend and I had four ceremonies and it, uh, completely altered my life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't even, I can't even tell you how it did it, but it, I came out of there not wanting, uh, to basically be the person that I was pretending to be anymore. Um, and I did go back to Iraq, uh, after that experience, wow. I went back, I went back for about seven months. Um, and that's where I integrated. And mm-hmm. so during that time frame, I was, uh, the tools that I felt like I had got from ayahuasca was unconditional love, unconditional trust and unconditional acceptance. And those were the three things that she told me to go work on as I was, as I was gone. So I, I went from living in a war zone and treating everyone like, um, like not, I wasn't treating people with respect when I was out there. I was just, you know, I was just being really mean to people and the, the Iraqis I was training, I didn't treat them very well. I really didn't like Iraq at the, in the first place. I always thought it was terrible, but as soon as I got off that plane, everything was so much more fascinating, so much more beautiful, so much wow. more, uh, engaging, the people I lived out there with um, became my closest friends. And we started having talks about spirituality and love and families. And we had such a deeper connection all while still in Iraq in a war zone. And I started to get to know my interpreters more and started to get to know the people that I was training more. And then about seven months later, I was like, you know, I don't want to be um, I don't want to be looking for a fight anymore. And I knew that by having this uniform on and having the, doing the job that I was doing, I was saying, if you want to fight, let's fight. That's what I was saying. Nothing against that because the world needs people like that. They need security officers. They need people who are willing to stand up and, and, and commit violence if needed. But I decided that I wasn't going to be, I didn't want to commit violence if I had to anymore. Like I didn't, like I, I didn't want to make a conscious choice to, to be the one to commit violence. Mm-hmm. So, so I quit that job and then moved to the Amazon jungle and lived in uh, Pucallpa for about nine months in uh, at the center that I was, that I drank ayahuasca at. And then I facilitated um, 
a lot of Westerners that came through that center and worked with a lot of ayahuasca. So to get back to your original question of like, do you drink ayahuasca a lot now? I had drank a lot of ayahuasca in the jungle then uh, for working with the shamans. And this is kind of what you do. If you want to work in with the Shipibo and the medicine, you got to drink a lot of medicine. So I, I have drank over a hundred ceremonies at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. But now when I go drink ayahuasca, it's not about healing. It's about reconnecting with that plant, reconnecting with the space to help me as a coach, still be relatable with my clients to still understand the emotional aspect that goes through it. And to honestly, for me to keep walking the walk, cause I can't tell them to do a diet or to do these things if I'm not going to do it myself when that time comes. So there's a, there's a few reasons why I continue to drink, but it's not, it's not for a healing purposes anymore. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That was really a fascinating story. <laughs> Crazy. I'm just imagining like coming from this experience because I know how I felt after like having my first ayahuasca experience and then just like going back to like the real world out of the jungle and then like going to Iraq and like being in this environment, this must've been, yeah. I wasn't happy about crazy it. experience. <laughs> like the contrast must've been like, I wasn't, I wasn't very happy about it. I knew that I knew, I knew deep down that I wasn't going to be a contractor in that field anymore when I left uh, the jungle for that first time. And, but something in me told me I had to, like, I needed to go out there. Like that was my life. That was where, that was where I lived. I mean, like that I lived out there for, you know, 11 months out of the year. That was where I worked. So it, it just, what I didn't know is it was going to set me up very well for how I integrated was integrating around warriors, around operators, around veterans. So learning to bridge my experience to these people is uh, now turning around tenfold. And now I'm a coach for an organization that sends veterans to drink ayahuasca. So, and, and most veterans, when they talk to me, they say that they like talking to me because I don't, give them bullshit. I don't, I, they, they know that I've been through it. They know that I'm only giving them what has worked for me. And I'm not, I'm not some hippie who thinks they know how to talk to a veteran. I'm a veteran who's yeah. a hippie as well. If you want to call it that. Yeah. Or, or a dry like scientist or psychotherapist, you know, who hasn't gone through her shit. Herself. Yeah. And that's, and it's very hard to reach vets. Um, That's one of the, that's one of the biggest issues. I'm I'm sure around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world, veterans are a tight community. Mm -hmm. And if you're not one of us, a lot of times they don't, it's hard to reach them. And, and that's, uh, and that's one of the, the, the plugs I think for, for Horo Carts project is that we are a veteran run and veteran led organization. We do have civilians working with us, but they all have their own deep connection with the veteran organizations as well, or veterans themselves. Yeah. What would you say is the one major pitfall, what not to do coming out of an ayahuasca ceremony, uh, returning to the real world is there something that you from your own experience like remember or or something that you are telling your clients a certain key takeaway to yeah watch out for when yeah yeah i would say the one thing that most of us especially with the western mentality don't think about is give yourself 24 to 48 hours of processing time don't jump right back into your job 
Don't jump right back into your responsibilities if you can't. I mean, if you can't help it you, and you need to, that's fine. But set it up for yourself afterwards to give yourself some space to really think and really contemplate about what has just happened. Um, this experience can be a cue to what people have said to losing a parent or having the birth of a child as far as like how important this experience was to them, like how life-changing it is. It's, it's along those lines. So um, give yourself some space. And then if I could throw in one more, it would be take your time with adding things back to your diet. Cause if you have done the ayahuasca diet properly beforehand, your body will be very clean. So you can start adding those things back into your diet slowly, but only slowly enough for you to be able to feel what that does to your body. So if you like to smoke cannabis, for instance, and you've now fasted from cannabis, it's a good time to take it, take some cannabis and then wait. Don't go right into a thing. Don't go do this and then just go back to normal. Sit and allow it to feel like you for you to feel how this does. And this goes for burgers. This goes for pizza. This goes for beer. This goes for everything because there is a there is a chemical reaction that happens in our body with all the things that we consume. So if we can get that down to a baseline, you might be able to say like, man, if I eat too much meat, I start to feel depressed or man, maybe if I eat too many carrots, I start feeling depressed because your gut biome is, is that way, mm-hmm. but we never give ourselves that time. So yeah. after ayahuasca, I guess the advice would be slow down, take as much time as you can to, to really get back into those habits. Yeah. Maybe because the ayahuasca experience also doesn't end with like the end of the trip, like with ayahuasca, especially you really feel the medicine working within you for you know, a long time still. Well, the hermalas, uh, we know this, that the hermalas from the vine stay in your system for about two to three weeks. We know that the DMT is digested very quickly. So it's not like you're, you know, floating around on DMT the whole time, but the harmalas and the plant matter and whatnot else that's in the plant that's in the vine and in the, in the shakruna leaves stays in your system for about two to three weeks. And so that is a, so that's important for people to remember too, because anyway, it's an MAOI. And if you drink alcohol with MAOI, that's not a, it's not very safe. It's not good for your stomach, it's not good for your intestines. Yeah. Um, But that's the other thing is that like, so a lot of us just go right back into our old habits the same way I did after I had my first mushroom experience going like, man, that was weird. I got really messed up. Um, <laughs> and, and then they go, well, I, it didn't work for me. And it's, well, you didn't, you didn't do any of the work yourself. Like this isn't yep. a magic bullet. It's not a pill that's going to make you skinny or going to make you happy. It's a, it's, it's a process that, uh, that, that works if you use it. Yeah. Yeah. I know the medical community is not, if they, if somebody hears it, they're like, Oh shit, man, no, it needs to go through the proper uh, psychotherapy procedures. Um, but you guys also uh, work with that, right? So we, we do, we do have uh, mental health practitioners uh, that work with us as well. Um, we are, we are looking into actually getting into a, a new coaching organization that actually does tandem coaching and um, they do mental health practicing. So, uh, whether that be psychology or, 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 um, or whatnot. So we want to be able to have coaching and, uh, mental health practitioners sharing notes in a sense is right. what we, is what, is what the, the goal is for us. And, um, and we have, we have, a, a, a basically a team of people on the side who are always like, if they need any help, please let us know, please let us know. Yeah. 
Great. And you talked about, um, you know, we, we always say that integration is as much part of the journey as the trip itself. Um, and uh, you as an integration coach must have some tips, right, on how to integrate perfectly. And you, you already touched upon the journaling aspect, right? And you had uh, meditation as well. Um, could you go a little bit more into detail, like how does that journaling work? Is there a specific technique to it and to the meditation as well? So. Um journaling is an individual thing. It can be, it can be notes of the day. It can be a whole story of the day. It can be what, whatever the idea for me and journaling is it's meant to get your thoughts out of your head onto paper, no matter what it is. It could, it could be anything. Uh, it could be just a quick sentence or this and that as a coach, I try to set up meditation and journaling beforehand because if you're about to go into a psychedelic experience, the preparation that you do beforehand will really speak volumes for how you're going to integrate back. So say you're like, I want to, uh, I want to be more mindful in my life. I want to eat a little bit healthier. I want to do this kind of stuff. So say you were going to do mushrooms. I would tell you, okay, so two, three weeks before you do mushrooms, let's Let's start a diet, a healthier diet that's for you. Not something that's going to make it so challenging for your mind, but we're just going to, we're going to shift it into a different, healthier perspective. And then you're going to journal about that, like how it feels mm -hmm. to feel those cravings about how it feels when you want the stuff that you can't have. That's and then we're going to talk and then we're going to talk about that feeling. And then we're going to say about bringing that feeling of resistance to the medicine. And what we'll, and what I mean by that is making that feeling an intention. So then by the end of it, you've had this, you've had their, your meditation, which I always tell the vets, especially this is training for ceremony, because if you can meditate and get you drop back into your breath in the, in the psycho, the psycho mind, like how it goes crazy. If you can do that when you're upset, You'll be able to do that in ceremony and you'll be able to help yourself stay grounded and get through ceremony. Because uh, if you have been through ayahuasca, you know, it's not always um, an easy experience. So the, the more grounding techniques you can have, the better. And I find that the easiest one is just catching your breath, falling back into it and, and moving through. Mm -hmm. So I tell them that, and that was, that was what I told myself when I, before I drank ayahuasca, I didn't have a coach. This was back in 2016. Yeah. And so I just watched a bunch of trip reports and people made it seem like it was crazy. So the only thing I could think of was I got to learn to meditate. And I started journaling about it because I couldn't stop thinking about the ceremony. Um, so that's the, the two that I would say, but really after, after the ceremony, as far as integration goes, once you've slowed down, you might already know the steps you need to make forward. And you'll be like, ah, I do like meditating. And then that mindfulness technique starts another one and another one mm -hmm. and another one, because you're, you, if my, maybe meditation doesn't work and then I'll give them another one that might help a little bit better with just uh, more like walking meditations or, uh, or stuff that they can do to get into a flow of things. But really it's just about getting back to the mindfulness and not allowing yourself to have those unconscious habits, just kind of chattering in the background without your awareness. That's, that's the goal for integration, but mm -hmm. I only have a certain amount of time with them. Um, as far as this goes, in in my opinion, it can take up to a year or more to integrate mm -hmm. your experience in the jungle, mm -hmm. um, depending on what was uncovered, how much you are going through or what was going on. So 
I try to give them basically a basic foundation of tools where I feel comfortable as a coach that they can move forward from that point on with a foothold in their own mental health. Because my job is not to, is not to be there to, for them to lean on all the time, but to empower them forward. Mm-hmm. So they don't need to go to the VA anymore. So they don't need to go drink ayahuasca anymore. So they can go and do this journey on their, on their own. How long is that? What's the period you're with them after the- After, after we do, uh, we do three sessions every two weeks. So that's uh, about, um, about two months, two months of work with them. That's nice. That's a good amount of, do you, do you had clients which had experience that were like, so out there that you were like, Oh my God, I have no idea how to to help them. This is just too crazy. Like I have no Um, idea where to even start. I've never, I've never had that because I've had my own experiences that have been so far out there. I'm not sure what to do with them, but as I've talked about them, I can still find little nuggets of, of like tools I might've gotten out of that. Even if like, for me, some people ask me like, how, how bad, like, what have you learned from the tough experiences? And I say, ultimately I've learned that life in life, there is going to be suffering, like no matter what I do, like I, there's going to be the feeling of suffering is going to come. And if there's nothing I can do about it, then I can just sit with what is. And sometimes suffering is just what is happening. And I just have to be okay with that because there's suffering happening all over the world. And all I can do is try to mitigate and help the suffering around me. And maybe that's because I'm not in that state of suffering, but when I'm in that state of suffering, it's time for me to help myself. So this is what these ayahuasca ceremonies have shown me as far as like how to sit in that chaos and allow it without getting so like swept away by it. Because man, I'm like, like the rest of us, one Facebook post goes on about politics and I can lose it. Mm -hmm. Right. As opposed to going like, this isn't my problem. Like I, I see and recognize the issue and I see that there's maybe some steps I can take forward in it, but there's no reason for me to get drawn into the suffering. And I feel like that is something that I learned from those hard ceremonies. So even if it's so mind blowing, we can always bring it back down to something you can learn uh, for yourself. And it's usually very simple wisdom that you learn from these medicines. We overcomplicate it with the visions. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, but uh, I feel the, the visual aspect, uh, you know, like, like with your, um, uh, session, you know, can really be a clear sign of what to do or where to go. And, uh, absolutely. Almost, yeah. Absolutely. The vision state is a very, very, uh, useful state for metaphor. Cause I feel like that's how these plants communicate with us is in a lot of metaphor and feeling and colors. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you get these, these things, a lot of them, especially as a coach, I've already worked with them. So I'm already hearing stuff about their mother or their father or their family or their mm-hmm. friends. And, and then they'll tell me about their experiences and I'll start to go, Oh, do you think this might have something to do with your mom from when you were a kid? And then they'll say, then they might go, ah, and then they'll start to, put the pieces together themselves of maybe the metaphor that they missed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Are, are you working together with the, yeah, with the shamans? Like, oh, how closely are you, are you uh, working together with them? Um, I unfortunately protocol? am not working very closely with them. I wish I had more uh, communication. Mm-hmm. There is one center that we work with um, that is in Terrapoto, Peru. It's La Medicina. We work very, very closely with that, uh, with that healer. He is phenomenal. 
Um, and it, it, he's, uh, if anything, that's the center we like to work with, uh, with, with veterans. Cause the, the shaman is, he's a Westerner, but he's been working with the medicine for over 20 years and he's uh, extremely good at what he does. And having that, um, without the language barrier is very nice. Yeah, uh, because yes. because that way they can communicate more with that. And he's also done his work. He's you know done tons of diets in the jungle and worked with the with the Matizo tribe and and all that. So he's uh, he's the real deal. So it's a, it's one of those things that we don't we don't skimp on who we work with. And some of them some of them are very strict Shipibo and they only speak Shipibo. So yep. how we communicate with the shamans is through the facilitators, you know, through that. So so it's um, but. Also, one of the things that Heroic Hearts is doing is we don't want to forget about the the ancestors uh, and the elders that are going on in the jungle. So we've actually helped uh, with La Medicina. We're, we're setting up a fund that is basically a uh, pension fund for the elders. So that way they can retire and not have to worry about they can wow, be done beautiful and they, can, and they can teach and still do those things so we're, we're trying to also have a way of funneling in some money for the for the elders down there especially for all the the help and the healing they're giving to our communities around the world yeah that's really beautiful that's really great yeah um man there's so much good stuff in what you're doing and uh, the reason why we're actually speaking is um quite uh a uh, coincidence because we never expected you know with our product the portal box uh, to be approached by so many veterans right that was mm. that came totally out of the blue for us it was more catered towards the university students uh, people with um yeah uh, serious jobs um scientists uh, freelancers uh, coders whatever you do dmt at home uh, for exploration, self-development. And also, you know, they all have had, I have never heard one of our followers not say that it hasn't changed their lives. So mm -hmm. also for quote unquote healthy people, you know, it has significantly improved their lives. Um, usually in one intense moment, you know, curing them from depression or, um, cause loss of suicide or anything. Um, mm -hmm. but what we've definitely noticed is that we got emails suddenly um, from veterans and there's veterans in our community. And that with me really struck something where I was like, okay, there is something to it. If we're going to be sending out these kits that we make to um, veterans uh, and they all share this with each other, like, okay, look, this is helping me. Um, we might, there might be some um, yeah, deeper, um, meaning to the box, you know, where we can actually heal people who are tremendously depressed. And mm. that's why, um, your organization, we watched this video of one of your, uh, clients, I think. Um, and, uh, I recommend everybody check out your website. I think it's heroicarts.org, right? Yeah. Heroicartsproject.org. Yeah. Heroicartsproject.org and check out that video, check out what you guys are doing because it really, that video really resonated where you see somebody turn completely around. Um, and yeah, the, the, a lot of people say it's DMT and then they move up to ayahuasca. Um, what is your, um, yeah, experience between these uh, substances uh, and then DMT, ayahuasca, and then 5-MeO, uh, where do they come in the process of healing? So I think that each of these can be used in different fashions as far as for healing. I think that DMT can really be a good 
Kickstarter for somebody to get out of their habits, like go, I don't know what is going on. And that can be very empowering to, to find out that like, this isn't what I thought it was like, life is not what I think it was. (laughs) And that can be very empowering. Also very scary, depending on, on how that happens for you. Yeah. But, um, I think that it's a very quick, like, Oh no, this isn't what I thought it was. And that can be all a person may need to heal because they just need to get out of their, of how they think the world is Yeah. now for others, there might be some deeper things that they want to get to that just, you know, 15, 20 minutes in a DMT session might not have actually got there, but it actually may have brought something up more. Um, ayahuasca at that point is a much deeper and longer experience. And what I mean by longer is, is I have a, I have a phrase as an integration coach, the ceremony begins as soon as you agree to it. So as soon as you're like, yep, I'm going to drink ayahuasca, your mind goes, you're going to do what? (laughs) and then it, and then it runs and it starts to think, Oh my God, what am I going to go through? How bad is it going to be? How's this? How's that? And this is when the work starts. This is when the ceremony actually starts. And those have had drank ayahuasca for like a week in that week period of time, or maybe a three to four day period of time, they feel very connected with the medicine the whole time they're there. They feel very like this feels very scripted. This feels like it's all supposed to be happening. It's all very, it's all very woo woo and a bit weird, which that experience alone, like being in and out of the medicine space that stretches your consciousness so far at times that you really don't know what is going on here. And you really have to fall into a state of trust. Um, Now five MEO is a different experience as well. It's quick, but from what I find is that it's great for breaking expectations for people and opening them up because a lot of people have a closed, have closed off their heart to emotions and closed off their experience. And five MEO, for instance, has this, has this innate ability to blast people into a space of love, whatever that is, mm-hmm. but it has this innate ability to do that. Just blast them into a state of love. Now it might look very strange to us on the outside, but most reports, including myself, have gone into a place of just infinite love and, and there's no visions most of the time for people. Um, I've never had any visions with five MEO, which is what I mean is the expectation breaker, because for a lot of us, we feel like we need to have like this psychedelic, crazy vision experience for it to be real. But when you have five MEO, it's not that way. It's, it's very physical. It's very emotional. It's very still in the body. Sometimes you might feel like you're, you're somewhere else, but you know, you're very much here. And I I see you nodding your head (laughs) because you, you know what I'm talking about, but it's so, so that itself is, um, has its own modality. Like we worked, like there's been some people that ayahuasca was not working with others until they took Bufo until they did five MEO. And then that opened them up. So it really depends on the situation. I also think it depends on the healer and how much they've worked with the medicine to help people open up. Um, everyone's a bit different. So I think that having each of these modalities is really important to, to work with, but also to not, you know, do it without caution because we still don't know a lot about these and we want to make sure we do our due diligence. And we know that this is a safe way of healing as far as drinking ayahuasca goes, because we haven't needed the FDA a thousand years ago when shamans were giving it to the, giving it to the people in the tribe or drinking it themselves. We didn't need regulations to tell us that it was safe at that point. We don't need them now. Um, But 
we would like them. We would like the, the research still to be done for us to be told what we already know, that it's safe, that it's effective, and that we can use it in a proper way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, for new people to enter this space, people who really rely on this source of information, who may not uh, trust like the history of ayahuasca being used for thousands of years, but need uh, approval from the <laughs> which is only which is only a couple hundred years old you yes. know it's not even that it's still pretty young and like when you're talking about like medicine like what we've been using for medicine yeah yeah and um yeah what do you think about the difference between bufo and 5meo is is there uh is yeah the, 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 um, you must have seen so many ceremonies or witnessed so many people taking um, that uh, I would say that um, first, let me say that if there's any underground chemists out there who are going to do this anyways, but please, we need to leave the toads alone. Like the toads are are being are starting to the, the, the Mexican cartels and whatnot are starting to get involved. And it's we need to leave the toads alone. So if there is a market out there for people who want to make five amino DMT, um, that would that would really support, you know, the planet by giving the psychonauts what they want, but not having to hurt the toads. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I will say that 5MEO is a very powerful experience and should not be going into it lightly. It's, uh, in my opinion, it's the most fastest and most powerful psychedelic you can take on the planet. Um, it, it's very safe especially with people around you, because your body can go into spasms. You can have, you can scream, you can wail, you can cry, you can all this kind of stuff. So it's really important to have a guide with you um, that will make sure that as you're moving or as this, you're not, you know, you're not going to hurt yourself or others around you by, uh, by that experience. So it's always important to take these substances. If you do with a guide in, in a, in a proper setting where that way it's going to be safe for everybody. But as far as the, the profound changes that happen, um, just like with you probably seen with DMT or ayahuasca or any of these other ones, uh, I feel like the, if you have a mystical experience with these psychedelics, um, there's no, there's no going back at that point, you're changed forever. Like you can't, and then that's what people are getting from their five meal experiences, from their, from their DMT experiences, from their ayahuasca experiences, from their mushroom experiences, mm -hmm. from their LSD experiences. Yeah. I mean, like they're getting it all across the board. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. I think that's, I think that it just depends on your method and modality, like what you feel safe is taking and what you can get to, to have it. But again, this is not for everybody. Like it's not, not everyone is meant to take psychedelics or supposed to, it's, it's just, it's a method that I have used, but it's not a method I want the world to use, uh, for everybody because everyone doesn't need to do it. What is a clear sign in order for you to know that it's time to take a psychedelic or when do you know it's time to take a psychedelic? Um, when you feel like you are safe and ready enough uh, with the set and setting, that's a good place to start because the mindset can always kind of be all over the place. If your intention is to use psychedelics just to see what it's like, you know, make sure that you're in a good headspace and that you're with people that you know. And also you have already been curious enough for the last few months to ask somebody to do it with you. If you don't have the courage to talk to somebody about this, you probably are not ready to do psychedelics. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, 
like the period of two months, like the coaching period after an experience and like, what's the changes they usually like, um, of the clients <laughs> you like somebody coming fresh from an ayahuasca ceremony and somebody like two months later, is there some sort of like crazy decline? So, and like, so I, um, I have a, a phrase I've coined the bliss bubble after ayahuasca. Mm, a lot of people yeah. come back in this very happy very blissed out state, things just kind of run off their shoulders, like not a big problem. And that's great. And it can, it can last up to six months to a year, depending on the person. For me, it lasted about nine months. Uh, no, about 10 months before it was gone. It lasted all the way through Iraq, all the way back into the jungle. Um, and I like to think that's like ayahuasca's training wheels for us. Um, and maybe on a scientific level, I don't have to call it that. I can say it's the neuroplasticity you're feeling. You're feeling like the newer ways of thinking and the new, the new, new pathways. And you're going like, ah, oh, this feels great. So you're learning things faster. And, but on average, I would say it lasts about 30 to 60 days. Mm-hmm. And in that 30 to 60, if it, and, and I hope that you, if you can make it stretch out longer, great. If not, it's not a big deal. And what I usually mean is after the, the, the 60 days or 30 days, something in life comes back to bite you, you know, like something comes up to trigger you because that's how life goes. It goes, Oh, you think you're, you think you're so happy now I'm going to bite you with this financial bill or your girlfriend's going to leave you or, or this is going to happen. And that's the stuff where the integration really starts because when you, when, when things get tough, did the tools that you learned from sitting in ceremony actually assist you? Yeah. Did it actually assist you to allow the process to be instead of resist it? Did you respond the way you used to respond before you did the psychedelic? Was there any space in between the the action and the in and, and the thought? You know, like this person yelled at me. Did you yell immediately back? Did you fight the person? Did like how did you respond? Like that's something that I try to get all of my clients aware to because they're like, Oh man, I didn't do any work. I don't know what the heck happened. And then we'll talk about, well, how did you respond? How did you say it? How did you do this? What, what would you have done six months ago? And they're always like, man, wow. And they, it's just, it's, it's little, little bits that we don't pay attention to. Cause we get so, I get so spun up in my own stuff where I'm like, Oh man, I really messed up here, but I don't see the progress and how I responded differently from what, how I would have in the past. Yeah. That's really good advice. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, could you give any example? Cause you talked about yourself, uh, your own story. Um, is there any story you could give from somebody who went through your program and what kind of, um, change, uh, they went through? So, yeah. So I'll actually tell you about, um, my, one of my first clients with hero cards and that's, uh, his, his name was Gabe. He's actually the guy on our video. Um, and, and he, um, he came to me about a week after a suicide attempt and was desperate had no clue about psychedelics or what they were going to do. He just said he's tried everything and nothing was working. And he said, I'm just going to trust you on this. So we worked together in that, in that period of time. And during, during that time frame, it was very tough for him. Um, he didn't even want to fill out the application because it meant he had to like talk about his experience a little bit with me. Mm-hmm. Um, when he came home after ayahuasca, it was night and day. Um, a completely different wow. mindset for this person. 
Um, he was much more open hearted. He was communicating with his wife and his kids again. He was back to that state of joy. He was talking about his intentions and finding love for himself were met. He, uh, he was a completely uh, turnaround person. And to be honest, he's one of my best friends now. So I can even tell you his long-term integration has been great, not without its struggles like the rest of us with life, but he has, has never gone back to, to the way he used to be. He may have stumbled here and there, you know, like the rest of us when it came to things we don't like that we do, but those habits were never back in stone like they used to be he couldn't he now knows how to get out of them and um and it's it's why i do what i do because it, this this stuff is just it works and it's just a better way to heal than what we've what we got uh around here at least it's impressive yeah it's crazy that this those kind of stories don't like go way more viral or that everyone knows about this kind of stuff it's such mm -hmm. a it's such a powerful medicine like how mm -hmm. can this not be more <laughs> Yeah, integrated think, now but, society. But I think that we're, but we're still going through the stigma of a drug war. Yes, there is still a lot of conditioning that we have in our societies that these substances, if you take them, it makes you a bad person. Exactly. Like just those are the that's the black and white side of it. Yeah, and we're doing our due diligence as vets who have worked with this to you know talk to our community and do what we can to get rid of the stigma. And I think for anybody out there that wants to help get rid of the stigma, the best thing you can do is come out of the psychedelic closet when yes. you're ready. When you are ready, tell your friends and family who don't do psychedelics about your experience and how it helped you. And if you're not ready for that, that's totally okay. But if you want to help, the best way to do it is to let them know, just like pot over the last 20 years, how many movies have we watched where actors made fun of smoking weed and everyone's like, everybody smokes weed and now no one cares. And it's still yeah. illegal in the States. It makes no sense, but it's still illegal, but no one's getting, it's, it's just ridiculous. But anyways, we'll, I digress. <laughs> no, I, if you want to help, if you want to help yeah. the movement, if you want to help the movement. Talk about speak. it. Yeah, yeah. Open your mouth. Yeah. And uh, buy a portal box. So it helps. You, uh, <laughs> yes, helps I agree. You, you buy know? a portal box. Yeah. Now that's the reason why we also initiated one of the many reasons why we initiated this project is so, it, you know, you have a certain tool that you uh, don't come across as some kind of junkie uh, people who are not, uh, yeah, we're not going to have such an experience themselves where they mm -hmm. enter this world, where they come home and they're like, Oh, okay. This is not like some kind of, crack uh smoking crack kind of weird mm -hmm. psychedelic uh, uh nonsense it's actually coming home and it actually feels natural and it's actually more real than some of the bullshit that you've uh you know perceived as to be real and this box is kind of like a message from the person who has experienced it to the person who cannot or doesn't want to yeah. experience it. Absolutely. Okay. It's something very worthwhile and yeah. it's something very healing yes. and it actually comes with the booklet. So, you know, if they want to not only find out how to not use 5-MeO in the worst kind of way, mm -hmm. but also, you know, how to explain it to their grandma, uh, you know, it's like, okay, we are not bad people. This is something that's incredibly powerful. Right. And it's, uh, we're all, uh, yeah, we're all part of the same mission here, I guess. Um, and it's a very important one. And on that note of talking about it as well, um, remember that it's talking about your experiences, not preaching about psychedelics to the masses. Yeah. Because yeah. I have found, I have done more damage by trying to tell others 
that they need to take psychedelics for their, 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 their help than yeah. I have from just talking about my experiences. So, um, when, if anybody's listening to this and wants to talk about their experiences, wonderful, but make sure it's not in a way that's trying to convince others to do these substances themselves, because it is illegal. It is a, it is a step forward that people might not be willing to take. It is, there is a lot of stuff that we have to get through in order to to, to feel safe, to take these. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you can't be and it's funny you, you bring anyway. up your portal box and I really, and I think that's great because it's, it's really geared towards service. And, and it's funny that you find that a lot of veterans are, are buying these boxes from you, but I find it, you know, almost on par because all veterans are people who have a heart of service. They just want to serve other people. They wanted to serve their country in some capacity. They wanted to serve their community in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And this box that you've made has provided that setting, so to speak, mm-hmm. that, that, that space for them to feel like this is a, this is a toolkit for someone to serve somebody else to be there of service. So I just want to say that's not surprising to me that veterans have been using uh, your, your box because I, when I saw it, I thought the same thing. This is, this is a beautiful set that I would not mind showing my grandparents in a sense. Yeah. 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 yeah and that's what needs to happen. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's a double-sided coin on a, or how to say that, that you don't want to scream it off the rooftops, like psychedelics are the best thing because then yeah. you're going to reach the wrong persons, you know, and, and people uh, come in with the, with the wrong expectations. Yes. Like, and, um, yep. yeah, I mean, everybody who does mushrooms or ayahuasca wants to share it with the world. And sometimes you have to just, uh, you know, cool uh, hit the it. brakes and, um, not spread the work too much, but when you do it, Ah, you might as well do it properly and do it with the right people, you know, carefully with your family and with your friends um, and show it in a professional way where, yeah, yeah, you've given it some thought and you know what you're talking about. So it's not the first time you take an ayahuasca, and you, you know, you're in that uh, bubble that you talked about uh, mm-hmm. and you initially want to talk to everybody about it. No, 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 just take your time. And that's what we also talk about in the box or over in the booklet, right? We have a whole chapter of not, uh, you know, not being an asshole, how to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> how to be cool. Be positive, but yeah. be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. positive, be cool. Stay cool. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes even the lessons on psychedelics are just for you, right? That Absolutely. must be strange for you when inter- or when people have to share their experiences. Um, sometimes the vision is so cryptic um, and so personal that, um, a lot of people believe that by sharing it, it kind of diminishes the value of the lesson, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually, I, I talk to my clients about this too, is that I, I've said this phrase is that, you know, actually putting words to your experience actually does a kind of damage to it, but it doesn't mean that you don't talk about it. It means that you talk about it when the moment is right, because talking about it is also how we kind of learn Mm-hmm. and yeah. kind of bridge it for ourselves. So if you if you over talk about it and you start to like turn it into a story as opposed to a lesson, like this one time I was in Peru and this happened and this happened and this happened, that's a story as opposed to like I learned a very valuable lesson and I learned it from ayahuasca because of XYZ. And it's uh it's it's about learning to adjust that and I usually tell my clients, if someone asks you about, Hey, how was your time in Peru or how was your time in Mexico? Or how was your time with ayahuasca or this and that? I usually ask them, I tell them, Hey, ask them 
what do you want to know about it? What would you like to know? Because they might not want to know about ayahuasca. They might want to know about the food. They might want to know about the people. They might want to know about this. Mm -hmm. And then if they're really asking about the medicine and they're really asking about your experience, they might even be asking for themselves because they want to also experience this. And I don't think helping somebody else make their decision based upon your experiences is ever doing any damage to your healing. If anything, it's, it's helping because Mm. you are helping somebody else heal. So it's, it's really just a matter of, are you speaking from the heart about your experiences or are you speaking from the mind? Yeah. And the mind could be, I'm just saying, I I'm doing this so I can make money or I'm doing this because I want to sound cool or I'm doing this because of that, you know, to, to, to support myself in some way or whatever. And I think that's the damage that can come from it is because then it just becomes something else that we've done. Not something that, you know, we're embodying. Amazing. Well said. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I'm through my question. So I think we can uh, wrap it up a little bit. Um, yeah, man. Is there anything else you want to share with the community? Yes. Um, I'm going to say it again, please go to our website, heroicheartsproject.org. Um, if you are a vet looking for, uh, looking for help with plant medicines, you can sign up there. If you want to donate, you can also donate on our website. Uh, any donations help, whether it be five or five thousand. I don't it, anything. It costs about it costs about thirty five hundred, no four forty five hundred dollars to send a veteran to an ayahuasca retreat, fully paid for. So one vet is forty five hundred dollars. So if it, it, the every donation helps, um, I just want to say thanks again, guys, for having me on this. This has been uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or you can contact us through the website. Yeah, uh, and I want to emphasize as well. Yeah. Just check check out HeroicHeartsProject.org. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's really the organization that stuck with us. We've we're scrolling through yeah. a lot of organizations. I was like, well, okay, this this one, um, it's so effective, so immediate, uh, you know, you can see so much and so change. real as well. Like yeah. there's a lot of, yeah. Yeah. And there is a, there is a UK branch and we're starting up with a Canada branch. So those yeah, in, that's in, what I wanted Europe to ask and, as well. Yeah. Is it international, you know, who, who yeah. can apply for this, right? Yeah. So there is a UK branch and you can find that link as well on our, on the website I just gave to. So that way you can, you can still reach out. And, and even if you are in a country that does not have a rural cars project, you can still reach out and we'll still uh, try to help as much as we can from, from where we're at. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that was a really beautiful conversation. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. thanks, man. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna uh, stop the recording later, but um, I just personally also really want to thank you, uh, man. Um, and I think uh, we should uh, keep in touch for sure. over the yes. Let's and let's, if you want, we can do this again. We can catch up yes. and, um, sometime next year, and I can just update you on what's going on. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you should be on Joe Rogan or something, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've talked talked about this actually before is uh oh. is i would love for her cards like a representative me or jesse or somebody to get on joe rogan right yeah. because of the because of the following yeah we're not there structurally or financially yet <laughs> if we had millions of veterans that yeah. were then like applying to yeah. us like we yeah. don't have like if we don't have the the money coming in to support that then we're then it's just then we're slowing the process way down so just like with medicine 
I'm just kind of trusting the process. I think we'll get there. I think we'll eventually get to the point where we're going to be well known across the world. Mm. Um, but it's just a slow process and I don't want to rush it. You know, I don't yeah. want to rush that right, process right, because, right, uh, right. yeah. And this, yeah. this, that also help us make sure that we don't sell out. We don't want to, we don't want to be an organization that is selling people's products for things and saying things for organizations that we don't really want to say. We want to make sure that this is the voice of veterans when it comes to how they heal. So yeah. it's, it's really important for us to to do our due diligence and who we, who we work for and who, and who works for us. Yeah, that's great. By the way, I've, I've sent a couple of uh, veterans your way. Like a cool. eight or nine or something already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time. Cause we, I actually uh, added a little part to the website as well. Um, on the bottom, it says we support veterans email us, uh, for a special offer. And then they email us and they ask, um, you know, what's the offer? <laughs> uh, and then I give them a code. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I give them a code, uh, veterans. And, um, then I email them about you guys. So, uh, yeah. Oh man, I I really appreciate that. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. And we kind of talked about that a little bit before about uh, something. I'm glad you figured something out about how to reach out to them because yeah. Um, and I do think we have like um we have some promotional stuff like uh that you can probably link to that as well if you wanted to. Um, but uh, but yeah, guys, this this was this was phenomenal. I uh, this yeah. was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. Thank Likewise. You. Yes. All right. Hey, take care and uh, let's stay in touch. Ciao. Yep, we'll do. Thank you so much. Ciao. Ciao, man. Ciao, ciao.